Welcome to the number one show and the source of truth for all things medtech. Here, we reveal the secrets and stories behind the investments, science, and commercialization of the medtech industry. Every week, we'll take you on a wild ride with the biggest names in the game, from entrepreneurs and investors who are shaking up the market, to healthcare providers who are revolutionizing the way we think and practice medicine. So hold on tight and get ready for a journey like no other. This is the State of MedTech. Welcome back to the show, everybody. And we have him back, my friends. We have him back. Daniel Hawkins, I got to tell you, you know, there's a lot of people who I have good conversations with. Some people I have great conversations with, and there are other people I have great conversations, just never seem to have enough time. So Daniel and I had to have this one episode to talk about medical sales. Um, And if you're new to Daniel, I recommend you go check out uh, his other episode, which really goes into his upbringing, his, his career. If you're really into entrepreneurial journeys, it's a great episode. It's episode number 57. But that being said, let me tell you a little bit about Daniel. So he's the founder of Avail Med Systems, which we're going to kind of focus on today, but also a few other companies. You may have heard of them. So he started his marketing business development with roles at places like Advanced Cardiovascular Systems, uh, Endologics, Restore Medical. He was employee number six at Intuitive, where he established the marketing department and guided product feature development for the Da Vinci Robot. Um, and then, you know, later on, he decided to co-found Calibra Medical, which ended up being acquired by Johnson Johnson. And then, if that wasn't enough. He decided to go and start Shockwave Medical, where he spearheaded the development of the groundbreaking intravascular lithotripsy technology, which pretty much transformed the treatment of cardiovascular disease. This you know, technology, just for those who are not aware, it uses sonic pressure waves to treat calcified plaque in the blood vessels, which is an innovation that has since provided just a lifeline to millions around the globe. So he's had this huge impact. And then while Shockwave was going public, Daniel saw a problem that he could not unsee, and he decided to go on a venture to change medical sales. And people said, Daniel, what are you doing? Are you crazy? Right? If it wasn't enough for this visionary, we would not be talking about this. So he went on to found Avail Med Systems, which is a company pioneering telepresence in surgery and revolutionizing procedural telemedicine. Now, it's very important to understand how they're doing that, right? So essentially what Avail did was pioneer solutions that enhance collaboration among healthcare professionals, irrespective of their physical location. Now, many of you might be thinking about um, surgeons proctoring each other and everything. That's one of it. The bigger part of it, in my opinion, is extremely important, right? This is the thing. There's a necessity for being physically present in the operating rooms at pretty much every stage from design and testing to clinical trials and surgeon testing training. But we can't do that, right? We've gotten to a point in our healthcare system and as medical sales reps where we can't physically be anywhere. For those of you who are listening right now, many of you are on a one, two, three hour drive in the middle of nowhere. You know exactly what I'm talking about. The demands of physical OR presence can slow down the innovation cycle and really limit how quickly new products can reach market and you know pretty much curb initial revenues and return on investment. Think of it like this. Forget about just providing uh, um, support as a clinical rep, right? What about product? I remember when I was in marketing, just to schedule like for the product team or marketing to go out and to see, to see a side visit, now you have vendor credential. It's a huge headache and you get to do that maybe what, once a, once a quarter, maybe? What if you were able to tune in to any surgery around the world at a touch of a button multiple times a week? Think about what that does for innovation. Think about what that does when it comes to quality of support that you can provide to an account. So we talk about that. We talk about the changing landscape in medical sales. Right? But before you do anything, and please do not forward this part. If you want to support this show, you're going to listen to this part. And more importantly, if you want your career to go to another level, you're going to thank me after listening to this part. I have a new sponsor, a great partner, and that company is Clary. Who is Clary? It's an amazing software company who is aligned 
on vision with me about what can be done in the medtech industry. Let's face it, if you're a rep, entering CRM data is a time suck. And if you're a manager, right, the problem is you have no idea what to do with this stuff, right? We all talk about data, but are you really making data-driven decisions? The last time you did a weekly call with your sales team or a quarterly deal rip, if you do those, are you actually making data-driven decisions or are you just kind of reporting the weather, right? Just kind of going around and see what everybody subjectively has to say, right? This is a problem because when you don't have the right data, you lack the information you need to close deals and you have no idea how to run your business. Clary is the leader in revenue operations and intelligence. They're designing a new category around revenue collaboration and governance and has helped hundreds of customers across a variety of industries. As a med tech industry, we have to level up and how sophisticated we are when it comes to revenue. Plus, the investors who are starting to come on our industry from software and tech and everywhere else are going to demand this. So whether you're a sales rep or sales manager, maybe you're a VP of sales, believe me when I say the best decision you're going to make this week is going and checking out what Clary does. Go to Clary.com, C-L-A-R-I.com. Book a demo with them. Learn about what they do. Learn what it means to have true revenue intelligence so you can actually predict revenue and manage sales activity using data. The best part is that Clary automates a lot of the stuff that goes into your Salesforce, right? We all hate Salesforce. Let's just face it. If you have Salesforce, you got to get Clary. Otherwise, you're not utilizing it the best way that you could, and your team is going to thank you for it because your team doesn't have time to be entering CRM data all day. Automate it, get predictable revenue, have revenue collaboration and governance in your organization, whether you're a startup, mid-cap, or big Fortune 500 company. So check out Clary.com. Mention this show. That'll help you out. That'll help me out. Or just click the link in the show notes below. You'll thank me for it. And lastly, are you a medical sales rep who wants to learn how to sell at scale? Well, if you haven't checked out my latest webinar about how to sell at scale using digital, specifically how to use LinkedIn, physicians are using LinkedIn. I show the reports every single month to you guys. More and more physicians are using LinkedIn, posting cases, etc. How do you use LinkedIn? How do you use ChatGPT to enhance your sales copy? How do you make persuasive emails? I created a new webinar for you to watch. Watch it. And in that webinar, you have an opportunity to apply and join my Medical Sales Network Effects program. Check the links below or just go to my website, Katib and Co. That's K-H-A-T-E-E-B-A-N-D-C-O.com and click the webinars. Now, with that being said, let's get on to our episode with Daniel Hawkins. Enjoy. Welcome back to the show, everybody. And, uh, Again, another fantastic guest. You guys know him very well. Daniel Hawkins is the founder of Avail Metasystem, along with many other companies. Early, early class and intuitive, and somebody who I have uh, profound respect for when it comes to sort of the macro uh, issues when it comes to our industry, specifically around sales. So we have an interesting topic today, which is the scaling issues that companies are facing when it comes to you know medical sales reps. And so while this episode is going to be talking a lot about medical sales reps, this is something that a lot of the uh, people who are sitting in the C-suite and larger strategics need to start thinking about. So Daniel, thanks for coming back on the show. Like kind of kick it off for us. Like what's the big issue today that's kind of top of mind for you? Because it's something that it, it like, uh, it grinds your gears, man. It grinds my gears, you know, but like this is the episode we've been wanting to record for, for a while now. Yeah, it has been a little bit. It has been a little bit. Um, so thanks, Omar, for uh, for the invite. This is that core reason why I left Shockwave. Lots of people ask me, man, what are you doing? Why are you leaving Shockwave? It's like a rocket. What are you doing? I left in uh, in 2017 to be able to start a veil. Combination uh, family reasons to start a veil. Um, what, what, did I, what am I trying to do here? I recognize over my then 25, now 30 years in the med tech space, that a significant portion between 20 and 25% of every sales dollar in med tech, large and, and, and mid cap med techs on the public side and even higher in smaller companies is spent in direct distribution costs. Direct distribution costs that despite the fact that these men and women are crushingly good at what they do, they can't get everywhere they need to be because they're, they're spending a lot of time in cars and waiting for procedures and they can't be in all the different hospitals and surgery centers they need to be in. And in fact, it's 
unknown to lots of folks, but this has been the way it's been since the medtech industry started. It's been like 60 years. We haven't since the foundation of, of what we now consider the stalwarts in the industry, the very first medical device companies distributed the same way we are today. Now, for 100% clarity, those same folks that are out there in the field right now doing the amazing job they're doing cannot be doubled and tripled and quadrupled in order to be able to increase the top sales line. But as a practical matter, any model that requires that those folks have to be physically in rooms requires that. And it has, and it forever has. So for me, this is about leveraging technology that we know works um, in the non-medical space, custom building something for the medical space, and instituting a way to operate that allows the fantastic expertise of, of folks in medical device sales and clinical support out in the field to better use their time to serve more customers and have better relationships, growing sales, and improving care. That's what it's about. Why do you think we've gotten to this point? How did we get here? Well, it's interesting. Um, back, I started my career when the angioplasty catheter was 600, 650 bucks or more. And today, <laughs> buck and a half is good. Maybe, maybe a hundred and a quarter for a standard angioplasty balloon. And the ones today are even more engineered than the ones when I was involved. Uh, we, we started off in an environment where there was so much revenue generated on a per procedure basis that we threw bodies at growing those markets. And I don't think it's an overstatement to say that we trained our, our customers. As an industry, we trained our customers to expect us to be in the room in person as an industry. And as a founder of companies and running Shockwave and the early commercialization, I struggled with what that turned into because we were trying to field, you know, six, eight, 10 people against 150 from from Medtronic and Boston Scientific and Avit and Cardiothoracic Systems and and uh, Philips. It, 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 it was nuts. It was absolutely nuts. How do you compete in all that? And frankly, how do they compete amongst themselves? Because procedures, uh, procedures can be hard to come by in territories, but if you're running from one to the next to the next, you've got logistical time and you can't be in two places at once. And so uh, I think we got here because of excess profitability, early days of what are now standard categories, and because we trained our customers. And as the technology evolved and got more and more complicated, we, we, we have to be there to launch new products. We have to train our customers. And by customer, I don't just mean the doc, because he or she will become comfortable with the technology after X procedures, single digit or mid double digit X procedures. They'll become comfortable enough um, for you to start leaving, right? But they're still going to need you to come back, to be clear. They still need you uh, as, as, a, as a company and as a field team. The the folks who run the back table, the scrub nurses, the scrub techs, the circulatings, they absolutely need you. And the fact that there's increasing turnover in those spaces makes it even harder. So I would say foundationally, we got there because of new technology being brought into what was previously an open surgical world. Now they're minimally invasive, be it catheter or something else. And that needing training, we trained our customers to get used to us being there. Profitability allowed us to be there, but as profitability is squeezed, the number of facilities we need to service goes up. The number of people that are needed for that has to stay the same, making all of it much, much more complicated. So now we're in a we're in a difficult world, and I would say we have been for the last decade and a half. Yeah, and I think this this stuff kind of changed very quickly overnight. You know, I remember hearing stories back in early days of Intuitive. You know, like one of the big things was like for the rep to be at the count all day, all night, just like really just parking themselves so that they're not seen as another rep. Right. That being said, fast forward to today, if you look at the surgical suite, if you had every rep involved just hanging out in the capture i mean there might be like 15 20 people per surgeon if not more and you just can't one the hospital's not allowing that anymore and two you yep. just can't be everywhere at once right and so it's, it becomes a big issue when it comes to driving behavior change and adoption right because when you're not there that's when like things go wrong right exactly Exactly. And, and what you need to, you need to be there as, look, at the end of the day, 
you need to be there in case something goes wrong and you need to be there to maintain relationships. And the latter very often is, you know, uh, when, when, if you're not there with a re- on a regular basis as a sales rep or a field person, uh, clinical specialist, when it comes time for the RFP to come up, that, that doc is going to be less supportive, right? So you need to be there. You also need to be there in case something goes wrong or if there's a question that's asked. Um, does this fit inside of that for catheters or is this device compatible with that one? Or should I use the A version or the B version or the C version of a device? Um, those are critically important questions and the industry has, as a virtual army of fantastic folks who can answer those questions. But to your point, you can't be everywhere. And as a result, where you're not, you could lose business. Now, a way to manage that, and this is why I started Avail, is to leverage technology and enable those folks who are finishing a procedure in one location to hop into a secure place, maybe even candidly their car, um, to uh, to uh, take a case in the, in another location so they don't lose an opportunity to service a customer. That happens on the Avail platform with regularity. There's another version that suggests perhaps there are locations that you don't even want to have to physically go to most of the time. And there are clinical categories where there are team cells, where there might be two to four folks working the team in a given geography. You may well have a team member handling a low acuity procedure remotely when uh, another team member who's more experienced is handling a higher acuity procedure in person and that is allowing that remote person to bounce across a state or a territory in seconds using technology and therefore change your commercial model. Now, reps who do that or teams who do that are in a position to gain substantially more revenue and therefore share because they can service customers better and do so with existing resources. Companies who do that have a chance to unlock material savings against what is on average between 22 and 25% direct distribution costs across the industry. Yeah. And uh, you glossed over, but I want to make sure that we covered that because again, for, for the people who are in the C-suite and, 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 and own those budgets, they do understand that. But you're saying the, the cost for distribution is usually 22 to 25% just covering the rep. So what does that look like? Like if we were to break that down to, I mean, just, Dollar figures. What what does that usually cost the company? And and again, for context for the people who are listening, we're talking about the cost of travel if they have to stay in a hotel, the food, all these different things. Not only mentioned, not to mention the time. Yeah. So there's there's certainly the salary for medtech sales, and to be fair, this is across all categories. So some are lower compensated, some are higher compensated. This is an average across the industry. There's salary. There's benefits. There's T and E. There's commission. There's management structure allocation for all of those sales folks, because if you go from 20 to 40 salespeople, you need more management structure, right? So there's all of that mm-hmm. and an overhead allocation. Somewhere in the neighborhood of four twenty-five dollars to $500,000 is what it'll cost a company to field uh, an, an incremental sales rep in aggregate. The more direct costs can be in the 325 to 375 range, but once you allocate overhead associated with it, those numbers go up and that's direct allocation overhead. Now, individual companies and individual businesses will have different numbers associated with all of that. So I'm going across our full customer base and the folks that we've spent time talking to, that's what it actually pencils to. Mm-hmm. So a way of thinking about this is that that a, a new sales rep that drops into a territory is going to be expected to deliver several million dollars worth of revenue. Because that revenue has a cost of goods sold associated with it, 20 to 35% probably. And then their costs have to, a cost of that individual needs to come out of that. Then there needs to be contribution back to the business. And that's how the model works. So it's a rule of thumb that if you need X revenue, X million dollars of revenue increase in MedTech, you need to add an incremental field member. That's not operational leverage. By definition, that is an operational angled line, right? Yeah. So it's it's the same level of profitability, but you need to increase both to be able to get there. Operational leverage can be achieved in this market using technology, and that's the reason why I started Avail is to be able to enable 
um, the men and women out there right now servicing their customers to service more customers, generate more revenue, of course, more income for themselves, and importantly, more profitability for industry to then churn back into the business to create more new technology. Got it. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting is that, you know, it's more of a scale. It's a scaling issue, but it's also like a quality of service issue because, you know, I talk about this all the time with, with, with companies. They really hate that I say this, but it's true. Most medical technologies are not transformative, like wildly different in terms of how much value they bring. It's really incremental. And so in the world where product A is against product B and the difference is like negligible, right? What ends up winning is usually, you know, a lot of it is the servicing, the servicing side. And yeah. I think and I think our, our yeah. industry has a very old school way of looking at it, which is like, we just got to put hot bodies in there. If you can't see them, you can't sell them, right? And I think that there's a way that you can do that at scale that provides the same yes. level of support, same in a, in a better yes. in a better way that makes the hospital happy and the surgeon. You know, and I think this is, this is many, you know, a couple of years ago when you and I, I think we met, we met at LSI. This is where yep. we, we really saw eye to eye because the way you're looking at it from a clinical support standpoint through Avail, it's the way that I've always seen on the commercial side, which is like, you know, we have these companies that are raising money. I don't think you raise, you know, five, $10 million and say, let's hire 20 salespeople and let them hit the street and figure and see who wins. It's like, no, you probably need like five really good salespeople, but who know how to sell digitally and at scale. Because why, why else would yeah. you fly people all, all around? Like the rep's going to be miserable because yeah. they're on the road. They're not seeing their family. You're spending a lot, a lot of money. And again, like, let's just say the company, let's say a company can afford to have all these people. Let's say servicing an account, right? Clinically. Do you think yep. your sales rep, it's just like with surgeons. Do you think your sales rep is going to be as fresh and on it after they have to get in the car and drive an hour or two to another account, yeah. get there? It's just not the same, you know? So I think it's a scalability yeah, yeah, and quality, you know, issue. It 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 is, and and I will say that you know the uh, uh, the best of sales folks out there have figured out how to do what you just said, Omar. They can they can go from uh, you know down and dirty fighting traffic and hop in and be good. Um, so I, I would say that that part's true, but the quality end of it, I'm going to define slightly differently. Mm. What I'm going to suggest is um, quality is equal to quality of 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 uh, communication when you have it and i don't mean audio quality i mean are you being actually valuable mm -hmm. then i'm going to talk about frequency then i'm going to talk about immediacy so let's look at quality in that framework and talk about it as a quality of relationship rather than quality of 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 the uh of of a particular interaction so I'm going to run under an appropriate assumption of my 30 years in the space. Anybody who spent more than a couple of minutes out there as a medical advice sales rep knows what the hell they're doing. So I'm going to give them quality on communication. Frequency is about how often they can bounce to a place in their, in their circuit. BCG literally calls that a milk run. There's a, there's mm. a study called the milk run study. And for those not familiar, I'm going to suggest you go ahead and Google it. Take a look at it. It's a great series. It started back in 2017. The most recent update was in 2021. Uh, really, really neat series. And what they talk about is that medical device sales has turned into a milk run. But if you can leverage with technology in omni-channel marketing using those same people and omni-channel methods outside of the traditional face-to-face, -face, you can go logarithmic in your efficiency. All right. You can go logarithmic in your sales growth. All right? So uh, for those not familiar... <laughs> Take a read. Do you know it? Are you familiar with I, it? No, I, I am familiar, but, but here's, here's my question to you. Okay, so BCG, Boston Consulting Group, publishes this. Great point. He said the magical word, which is like omni-channel. Why is it that our this, – this, none of this is new. Why is it that our industry still operates in, as, <laughs> as a mono-channel? Like this is the thing that drives me nuts. And here's, here's – look, here's my honest – here's what I think. I don't, I'm wondering what you think – What you, if you agree on. I think that the these issues – the issues you bring about scalability in terms of like reps in rooms, servicing, supporting customers, the quality of communication, and everything on my end is really focusing on the commercial side, driving product adoption digitally. I think that our industry hasn't adopted these things because it has yet to feel like real pain. I think 2020, I thought that would be painful enough. It wasn't. And I think like no. if you look at if you look at SaaS, SaaS is just getting decimated right now in the market. Like just brutally yeah. brutally but the, the thing about our industry is it's rather steady when it comes to everything like the, there's not going to be all of a sudden like um 
a lack of people who need a knee replacement, right? And I think because yeah, of that, right. that, that consistent revenue, our industry for the most part just gets lazy and they decide like, yeah, ah, why I, I change? Would, I would just, the way I would describe it, Omar, is that I don't think, going back to your, your comment a moment ago, I don't think there's been anything catalytic, singular point catalytic. Mm, it mm-hmm. looked like 2020 was going to be it. And and forgive me for this analogy, but I have to state it. If you were to put a live frog in cold water and slowly increase the temperature, it'll boil to death. It's a great point. I don't point. know if you knew that. No, no, right? yeah, yeah. So, it's a, so that, it's a, it's a and, and, horrible analogy. For no, no, but me, you're right. But the meta, that's that's actually the best analogy just, that I've heard. It's for this. a slow drip. Okay, it's been a slow drip. So if you pop up a level as BCG did. And in 2017, that group did a phenomenal job putting out the first one. And then you look at the updates. But if you pop up a level and look on a macro for MedTech, what you recognize is gross margins are tightening, not because they're not squeezing costs out of devices. You better believe they are. But pricing is coming down faster. Mm-hmm. So gross margin on devices is starting to tighten, and it's at asymptotically the best it's going to get. Okay. Clinical trials ain't getting cheaper. Engineering ain't getting cheaper. Cost of sales is going up as a percentage because the number of people in the field remains the same or possibly even goes up. And with inflation on, on wages and other expenses, those costs per field person go up against margins that are going down. So you're in a race to add procedures into the bag of an individual sales rep. So what does that mean? Decrease the number of times that rep needs to visit an account, point one, based on technology and familiarity with procedure. Take the function of that dialogue from doc to rep sales process to doc to rep relationship process and sell at a corporate level to try to get the IDN or the hospital to agree to bulk size contracts. So now you're forcing huge volume through a pipe and you're having the rep service the customer directly. So recognize I used a word service in that instance versus sales. There's a combination, mm. but there's a, a slow trend towards more and more service for a number mm. of the clinical lines that are across the med tech space. It's not universal, to be clear, and I don't mean to offend anybody, but I'm just suggesting that there's a trend line in that direction. So like more towards the service, with, more the service side and less the sales side. Yeah, more. Yes. In other words, the the physician preference devices are sales related. It is it is rep to doc and, and, and we're working it. New technology introductions, even in otherwise mature markets, are, in fact, rep to doc physician preference dialogues. Great. Love it. It's what I've lived in. It's what I'll stay in. It's really cool stuff. Having said that. The moment it gets down to, I've now done 3,700 of these, Omar. I don't need to know how to put a wire into a balloon. Frankly, I do that in my sleep. So let's go to the next phase of this conversation. Oh, you're bringing me something different. I'll pick on my last company, Shockwave. You're bringing me Shockwave. What's different about this? Oh, I have to do what? Now we're in a dialogue that is that is physician preference oriented. So the physician's going to drive the hospital to purchase. And there's a lot of that going on. The company's done quite well. But where it is not in that space and where it is more, I'll describe it as regular in the flow and and you're, and you're I, I hate the word commoditized, but you're very similar to other technologies. Now we're at RFP dialogues. And the sales representatives are more in a service orientation, which is a little bit of what BCG was talking about. Now we're talking to a place where the efficiencies start to matter even more, even more. And technology can get leveraged in a very meaningful way to help support the activities of that rep, either by that rep or a member of their team. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go back to what I was describing about with relationship, managing relationships. So it's quality of communication, frequency of communication, and availability. So the combination of frequency and availability is is where technology can come in. So if you're able to leverage technology to increase the frequency without increasing the number of people required to achieve that frequency, now you're getting operational leverage. Let me unpack what the heck I just said. If you've got 40 reps or call it 60 reps in, in, a, in, a, in territories all over the country for a product line, and each one is able to see each sales, uh, each one of their sale, uh, each one of their customers four times a month. Okay. So now you've got 240 interactions a month. 
across uh, uh, across a, a static customer base, and each one maybe has you know six or seven customers. All right, so now you're getting multiples. Great, but they're only able to see their customer four times a month, once a week, because they're milk running using using uh, BCG's analogy to other locations, doing other procedures. They can't get across territory, whatever it is. What if there was technology in each one of those, and you could do a check in as a rep? You've got a case, you've got another case two hours later, you have two hours, there's no time to go visit somebody. But what if you could call the lab manager, the OR manager and say, hey, is Dr. So-and-so in the middle of a case? I'd love to just check in. And now you're touch point. Dr. Khatib, can I ask you, how's it going today? What do you have on the table? You're, oh, here's what you're doing. Great. Are you, oh, you're not using ours? Okay, no worries, no worries. What can I help you out with? Nothing today? Great. I'll be in it on Thursday. Oh, that's a really interesting case. Is there something I can help you with? You might think about using this device or whatever. Great. Okay. I'll see you Thursday. Six minutes, but you've touched them. Now your frequency goes up and the relationship is maintained better. That intimacy opportunity at scale is what changes everything. That makes, We've been talking that makes about a lot sales, Omar. Yes, right? So, so now <clears throat> think about your best friends. Your best friends will hit you up with a text. Hey, I'm watching the game. You can't even believe this. It takes 40 seconds. That's a touch. What if you could touch your customers that way? That's mm-hmm. intimacy, and you've scaled it because you've used technology, right? Yeah, and you know what's <clears throat> interesting about this is that, um, you know, there's they're rooted in this as a strong, a strong component of behavior change. So, like, you know, you're up in the Bay Area. So, like, the father of, like, behavior change, BJ Fogg, who's bio, uh, not biodesign lab, his behavior and persuasion lab is in Stanford, right? His behavior change model involves one variable, which ha- has to do with, like, a nudge or a prompt, right? It's, like, one of the most important parts of persuasion, right? Your point is that rather than four times a month, which is technically a nudge or a prompt, for product adoption, yep. if you can do that more times, faster and better, that's going to be a yep. lot more impactful. Yep. And I think this is the point of the industry that they need to understand is that you're absolutely right. It's frequency that matters over time. It's just, you know, what? like, it's funny. I just, I, I completely forgot about this story. I met, you remember, you remember the old men's warehouse commercials, you know, the, yeah. the, the founder who's like, you know, I'm George Zimmerman. You're gonna like you the way you look. I guarantee. You. I met that guy. I met. I look. Yeah, I, oh, I met. Cool. The, I right. met that guy at a conference, and this guy is a master when it comes to marketing. I asked him. I was like, "What's your best advice about marketing?" I thought he was gonna give me some interesting creative tactic, whatever. And he's like, "Marketing has li- nothing to do with creativity. It has everything to do with uh, with consistency and persistence, right?" And and when it comes to persuasion, propaganda, I mean, whatever you want to call yeah, it, right? That's right. It, the frequency is more important. Yeah, exactly. Just like, I mean, look, does it make a difference if you're at, if you're a company at a conference and you have a really big, impressive booth and you have these great events there and you blow it out? It makes a difference. But you know what's more what's more valuable? Having multiple touches throughout an entire year. Yes. Because you can't guess yes. when that person's going to have a problem and say, I should adopt that product. That's just right. like if you pick, let's just say, forget about four times. Let's say you have a rep who's at the hospital checking on the doctor twice a week. There's no guarantee that those two times are going to be the time that the doctor has a problem, right? Nope. So it's a guessing game. Nope. What if they? What if that same doc knew that you were always available or one of your teammates is always available by using technology? <laughs> yeah. That's literally why I named the company Avail. It is to benefit from and short for available. Okay. So as a sales representative, again, it goes to quality of interaction. It's defined as quality of what you're providing in terms of, of value. Okay, so I'm assuming that because I've seen too much of it to not assume it. And it becomes frequency and it becomes immediacy. Now, Mm -hmm. what's interesting is that the moment you think about that for sales representatives, you'd be remiss if you didn't think about the rest of the medical device cycle in creating products. Yeah, like I was going to say, like R&D, product, et cetera. Put on an engineering hat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And here's the thing from engineers can get in the room, right? Yeah. And you know that from a product development standpoint, this is the thing is like, it, it's always, you know, having, you know, been, been on the marketing side for a lot of my career, it was always a big event with a lot of coordination when it's like, Hey, we're going to send the product team to go, to go to this case. It's like, forget about, forget <laughs> oh, yeah. about just traveling there. It's like, okay, now we got to get everybody on the vendor credentialing system. And then we got to do this yep. and that, yep. and we got to coordinate yep. schedules. Yep. 
it's just a royal, royal pain. And so again, like I love it from the product development standpoint, because again, it's kind of, it's, I have this thing where I think everybody, whether it's an individual organization is developing into a version of AI, meaning that whoever has the highest frequency of data inputs is going to win, right? And so from a product and a team engineering standpoint, the, the teams, the teams who are able to get access and sit on these surgeries even once a week over time that the compounding, the compounding effects of that compared to your competition, it's insane. It's insane. You can get ahead of a, right. You can get ahead of a trend, a technological trend three or four quarters before anybody else even has a, has an idea of it because just purely from exposure. Let me tell you who recognized that. Let me tell you who saw that. Who's that? Dan Volz and his team over at Medtronic Neurovascular. Really? So here's what they did. Dan Volz says to me, let me back up. Let me back up. For those not familiar, um, Vail has this platform, right? It's the hardware goes in a room. We have software advantages. The hardware allows remote interaction and or procedure remote. So our business model has always been um, we put up a, a phone booth and anybody with a quarter and somebody to call can use it, right? As long as you're a member of the network as a medical device company, you can use it. Um that was fine until there was some recognition that, wait a minute, this can be strategically deployed like like we've been talking about, Omar, all this time, right? Uh, so Dan Bowles comes to me over uh, at Medtronic Neurovascular and says, Daniel, I, uh, I love Switzerland. I love what you're doing. I love Switzerland. Sorry, I love what you guys are doing, but I don't like Switzerland. I don't like the fact that anybody can come up to that phone booth. I want I, That's my phone booth. I want to have that phone booth. So much so that, uh, you know, I want to retool some of my business around it. I want to get my engineers in the room on the regular. I want to enroll clinical trial patients in 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 procedures doing this. I want to be able to provide clinical support. I I I want to connect my docs, uh, our customer docs. Uh, I'll say doc customers back to corporate. I personally want to hop into procedures, which is which awesome. They do, yeah, they do. So we ended up doing an exclusive deal for Neurovascular with Medtronic, and there's an explicit plan. To have, and it's already happening to our point of engineers, pair up engineers with key opinion leader dots to regularly check in and just sit in on a case. And as you described, that gives frequency of interaction and opportunity to observe. And that will 100% portend a future of better technology development. You know, I, uh, I, I don't know how much you know about. This, Omar, I think you have a little bit of a suggestion, but um, I found my way into understanding how to invent some stuff. So I, I got a <laughs> lot of patents. And Understatement patents of the year. Understanding, <laughs> those patents come from understanding procedures. How do I get to understand procedures? A whole lot of time wearing scrubs. Now, I, I got to ask, so something, something that comes to mind again, by the way, I, I don't want to, if you can't mention it, um, uh, that's, that's totally okay. But like, uh, are you guys... I, actually, I won't ask the question. Um, I, I'm just going to make a no, statement go ahead. here. Go ahead. So, go. so like if we look at intuitive surgical, okay, a really good example. I love using CMS open payments because I, I tell people there's this one heuristic and I can't take credit for it. I got to take, I got to credit my good friend and mentor from afar, Scott Adams, who said, for some reason, the money always predicts, even when it shouldn't, it just always predicts, right? You just follow the money. Yeah. And so when I look at yeah. CMS open payments, right, aside from seeing what surgeons are making the most money, I look at companies and say, where are they spending their money, right? So you look at like the Medtronics, the Strikers, everything, they're always 40, 50, 60% of their uh, payments per year are going towards patents, royalties, and licensing, except one company, Intuitive Surgical, where 60% of their budget goes to what? So like last year, they spent, they had $53 million accounted for on CMS open payments. 60% of that is going to what? Royalties and payments? Nope. All of it's to education. And the top 10 payees are not surgeons, all academic institutions, right? And so like, I don't know, like I, like I have plenty of things to criticize intuitive about. However, their business practices, I can only stand in awe. And so one of those things is just like using something like a veil just gives such massive leverage, right? It does. And, and I think- It does. And, and here's the thing. You um, you, you pointed this out actually at, at LSI. Actually, there's a, a phenomenal video clip of you on Instagram and TikTok pointing this out. So if you're going to come up with a new technology, 
in it, let's say robotics, it's got to do one of two things. It's either got to be a bolt on to the ecosystem or more difficult, completely replace that ecosystem. And I think the only way you do that is yep. by as an early stage company, adopting something like Avail, getting that, that real estate digitally inside the OR. Yep. I mean, you know, we didn't, you and I, by the way, like my audience knows I deal with these things off the cuff, but like, this is why I was like, Daniel just needs to come on. We got to talk about this. What J and J wanted to do with early on with verb surgical and then they later got ours, which is making this digital moat. Hospitals aren't stupid. They're not going to adopt technologies that are just going to make a digital moat. Like they're not going to do that, but this is kind of like an indirect way of doing that. I think it is. And uh, one of the cool parts about technology and rooms and you called them out intuitive, but done really masterful job of this is capital in rooms is real estate. It is a position in a room in the regular workflow of that room. And once you have that, you have outsized influence on equipment purchases for the procedures done in that room. Up to and including robotics, clearly. Intuitive has done a masterful job. I'm going to call out Stryker and say they've crushed it with Mako. Oh, absolutely. Wait. Brilliant job. Can I dig into that real quick? Just, I want to, yeah. I want to have you connect you into why is it that capital in a room allows you to have such massive influence? What, what about that specifically about that whole? process. I just need you to spell that out for the audience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So once a piece of capital is in the workflow and used across a couple of categories of procedures, it is ingrained, it is used well and often. Now you can bolt on, I'll describe them as disposables or or uh, single-use devices, be they implantables or, or uh, single-use disposables. You can bolt those on. Now, there's some very interesting things that are going on in the marketplace. And I don't, I haven't spoken to folks here to know exactly why they've done this, but I'm going to speculate for a moment. There's a recent distribution deal announced with Medtronic and CathWorks. Phenomenal technology, a fully digital version of what's called FFR, fractional flow reserve, allowing you to assess blood flow across the coronary tree of the heart without having a whole bunch of devices go in the patient and everything. Does that mean that Medtronic wants to sell capital and gain capital sales? I'm sure it does. I'm speculating here, but I would have to guess that once ingrained into the regular workflow of a, of a, uh, of a cath lab and, and the team and how they, how they day to day do the procedures they do, that gives opportunity for Medtronic to increase their share of disposable devices that are used in those rooms. It's as simple as that. Now I'm going to fast forward a little bit and take a look at what Dan did, Dan Bowles did, um, with Medtronic Neurovascular. And I'm going to describe how that kind of kicked the market into gear a bit um, with respect to Avail. With our units in there and exclusive for Medtronic, what are they doing? They're getting a microphone into a room. They're getting a pulpit to be in the room and do so with very high frequency, with the full weight and, and, and breadth of the team over at Medtronic Neurovascular being able to pop in. To give you an example of how this works, an interesting clinical case happens. Um, and, uh, uh, across the network and an email comes into between 150 and 200 people across Medtronic Neurovascular globally with a link to join the procedure on avail and people do from all over the world at the drop of a hat. And now that doc is Mr. or Mrs. Super damn important feeling that way, right? So now we're talking about relationship and the entire community that is of, of Medtronic Neurovascular that has logged on is now getting what amounts to an education on a case. Mm -hmm. They're increasing their exposures. The relationship is closer. It's immediate with the physician. It allows a deeper interaction with that physician and engineering teams and clinical teams. It's, it's beautiful work. Now, let me pop back a moment and mm -hmm. take a look at what has happened in market since that deal got started, right? I talked about our, our basic business model. In November of last year, we announced that deal. That kicked a hornet's nest. What happened very, very quickly after that is other, other divisions of other companies, divisions within Medtronic, divisions of other companies, whole other companies came to us and said, now, hold on a second. I didn't think you guys did exclusives. Can we talk about that? So now we have this really interesting strategic puzzle piece that's happening where we've been approached for whole markets outside of neurovascular because that's done, but whole markets with other companies. Or if a market is too large to be a whole market like orthopedics or general surgery, 
an IBN worth of a whole market. So for this large block of hospitals, so says X medical device company, I want all of orthopedics or I want all of general surgery or I want, you know, all of cardiovascular care in this market, these IBNs. And I want to use that to leverage in an RFP and create a better deal for that IDN using remote as a, as a pathway. And that's amazing. And by the way, we, I don't know how we skipped on this again. Like my obsession is like psychology of adoption. We skipped one of them. Like, like this is like a marketer's dream. And I think a salesperson's dream, which is peer to peer influence is so powerful. And one of the things that Matt Dixon, who wrote the challenger sale, he came up with an amazing book called Jolt Effect. He did a massive study on, on, on 2020 and sellers, right? One of the things he, he came up with is that this FOMO, like fear of missing out, is a powerful psychological bias. What's more powerful and a, and a bigger obstacle to adoption, which I'm calling FOMU, fear of miss, messing up. And so most surgeons, they don't adopt mainly because of this fear of messing up because there's fear of messing up, not just because a patient could get hurt, but there's staff who could they get a surgeon does get embarrassed in front of their staff, the hospital, et cetera. And so now when you have technology like this, where you have such increased frequency and touch points, it's very easy to be talking to another surgeon and and they have these concerns like, Hey, look, here's my answer to these things. But look, once your availability next week, it's like blank, blank, blank. Oh, you know what? Great. Hey, why don't you, why don't you jump in on this case virtually? Yes. And you can just talk to this surgeon. Like who, who do you really respect? I respect so-and-so great. They're actually, you know, at this hospital, we can, we can, we can get that on versus the old way. When I was doing robotics, I had to fly a surgeon in. We, it was a, it was, yep. it was so expensive. Yeah. And, and again, time to adoption, sales pipeline timeline, like that, what I just described would be minimum a two or three week planning ordeal versus now exactly. this is going to be done in a day. It's like, Hey, you free tomorrow morning. Great. I'm going to send you a link. Is it that easy with a veil? It, it is literally that easy. And Your marketing exactly people better, the they better send me a fruit basket. Cause like, I'm just like, that was what a, what a great, what a great, what a great plug right there. But no, no, but seriously, is it, exactly. is it that easy? It literally is. And Medtronic Neurovascular is enabling that um, through a mechanism they call a remote connectivity program where they're, they're providing a way, economic incentive way uh, for docs to talk to one another. And that's it. it. And that so, could be on Medtronic cases or non-Medtronic cases. It doesn't matter. And um, it, it ends up being really interesting that way. But what what occurs for us in all of this is with multiple <laughs> strategics wanting to grab individual pieces of business, we're getting yeah. kicked into some very interesting I, I was just I mean, my, it's probably great for you, but that's tough because like the, the, the idea of exclusivity is always really tough. So if – look, I, we have strategics who listen to the show – if somebody wanted to come and ink an exclusivity deal for you, let's just say for neurosurgery, right, or spine surgery or some, you name it, could they literally carve out their market for like a whole year in those ORs? Like, is that is it that simple? I mean, probably, it is, I'm kind it of is opening a can of worms that, there, man. Sorry. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, it is essentially like that, that there is a, a block of time, you know, a couple of years in a row where... Um, if they if they do an exclusive deal with us for access to a particular category, clinical category with a certain set of ORs or whatever it is, that no other avail uh, med tech user can can use the platform. And and you know how do we manage all of that? We manage that because we manage the user licenses associated with it, and we can do it, it by by IP address. So so we can actually do that. And but here's something that happens really interesting, Omar. And going back to what you've talked about, what BCG talked about with the milkman and the fact that if you leverage omni-channel, you can create um, uh, differentiation. There's a recognition that has happened amongst a, uh, a handful of our 50-plus medical device uh, users, <laughs> company users, 50-plus medical device organization. A few of them have recognized, no, hold on a second. What I'd really like to do is, is um, set up an opportunity here to go past just the division or two or three that we're talking about, or maybe that we've done. Um, but, you know, instead, what I'd like to do is talk to you about getting even closer. So now we've had, you know, as you might imagine, strategically driven inbounds. And we look at all this stuff and, and come to a recognition that 
we have crossed over to a point where there's a recognition of how to leverage remote and give existing sales teams that much more power, give the, their, their engineering and clinical folks that much more reach. Um, so it is becoming a really interesting strategic deployment kind of a concept that's going on with, with remote. That's amazing. Well, Look, Daniel, I know you're busy. I really appreciate you coming on the show. Um, you know, for sure. the, the people who are listening to this who might be interested, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you and your team? So uh, I, I guess, you know, the simple answer is uh, website. There's a like to learn more. And you kind of click through there um, and, and do it that way. I would frankly encourage you. We're, we like to think of ourselves as super approachable. Um, reach out to anybody on the commercial team via LinkedIn. If you're not otherwise connected, that'll bubble its way. But um, we, we, uh, I personally get and my team gets every one of the inbounds that comes on the website and we divvy them up and we've got, we've got follow ups that happen through that. So that's probably the easiest way, um, to, uh, to be able to get in touch. Yeah. And again, very simple website. I leave in the show notes. It's avail, A V A I L dot I O. You know, it's a high tech company, but they got the dot I O. They paid the extra money. You got the dot I O. You got the I O going on. Exactly. And, you know, one thing I want to encourage because I have a lot of really up and coming uh, sales leaders. This is just, if you're a sales manager, you're a sales director, and, and you're really inspired by this, either take this episode and send it directly to your CEO or your VP, or just my opinion. Book, book the demo time with, with, uh, Daniel's team. That way you get the information and they'll coach you on how do you go and sell this to your C-suite. It'll be a good exercise for you. So with that being said, I'm Omar Khatib, your host for the state of MedTech. If you haven't already, rate the show, give it five stars and write a review. We're the number, sh- number one show in MedTech, mainly because I get on my audience about re- reviewing it. So be sure to do that. <laughs> give Daniel an avail a follow and we'll see you all next time. Thank you for enjoying another epic episode of The State of MedTech. If you're feeling inspired and love this episode, do us a favor, hit that subscribe button and turn notifications on so you never miss an episode. And be sure to give us five stars and write a short review because that helps more people discover this amazing community of ours. If you're a company who has a executive that you'd like to be on the show or perhaps you want to sponsor one of the episodes, shoot us an email at hello at Take care and we'll see you next time.